I wanted to t- I wanted to talk about mindfulness and presence today. And as I said last week, and I think the week before, I'm kind of on this roll here of wanting to remind us of some real basic mindfulness ideas. I wanted to get us back to basics because what I have found as a student over the last 25 years um, and as a teacher, that it is really easy to get off course and to forget about the basics of practice. And those few weeks that we were doing engaged Dharma talks and uh, really trying to apply the Dharma to different situations, I noticed that it's very easy for me to forget about the basics of practice. And so that's why I'm swinging back around for the next few weeks to just talk about some basic stuff, just to remind us how important it is to continue to come back to the simple fact of presence in our practice and how powerful presence is in our lives when we do it regularly and we gain the habit and the skill of being able to do it, especially in tough situations. And without basic building blocks in the Dharma, it is difficult to get some of the greater fruits of the practice, right? So I always like us to come back and check in with these basic ideas. So for the next two, three weeks, today I want to talk about presence and sort of the power of presence and why mindfulness is the keystone of Dharma practice. And we'll talk a little bit about the past and how this is connected to our present moment experience. But next week, we'll take a deep dive, I think, more into past experience. And then the week after that, we'll do future. And in both cases, I really want to talk about how our present moment awareness is tied to both of those things. And I'll explain that a little more in a bit. But I really want to get back into reminding us how our present moment experience is tied to our past and how it informs our future and how by learning to be present and to learn to increase the acuity of our presence, the continuity of our presence, we can change the relationship we have with the past and change the relationship we have with the future. And by doing that, we decrease suffering and increase joy and increase compassion and increase wisdom. So that's where we're headed for the next few weeks. And uh, we'll see how long it takes us to get there. There's no rush. So I'm seeing this as two or three parts as we as we move forward. I wanted to start by reminding us that this work is challenging. This work is challenging. And so often, and I know this myself as a student and hearing this from students all the time, it's really easy to ask ourselves, what's next in my practice, which I encourage, certainly. But oftentimes, we ask the question, what's next? before we've established real presence in our practice, before we're able to establish a real home base in the present moment. And oftentimes the mind is excited about getting to the jhanas or having a deeper meta, deeper meta practice or sitting a retreat or this and that, uh, I don't know, walking through a wall. I'm not quite sure what you know meditative fantasies and aspirations people have, but I know from experience, it's easy for the mind to say, oh yeah, I got the mindfulness thing. What's next? What's the greatest thing? What's the next roller coaster? You know, what's the next insight? And so I want to remind us that this is hard work. It's a, a marathon, not a sprint. It's a lifetime of practice, right? It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment to a way of showing up in the world. And there's always more to do with our foundation. There's always a way of reinforcing and reminding ourselves that we want to have a very solid foundation in present moment awareness because it's upon that presence that all of the other wonderful fruits are built. So it's easy for our mind to be interested in the next step and get distracted from what's here right now. 
With that comes the reminder that we train the mind to seek pleasure outside of itself. We're constantly being told in our culture in particular, North American culture, so to speak, that on the horizon, outside of ourselves, there is some kind of joy and happiness awaiting. The next purchase, the next event, the next experience, the next, the next, the next thing outside of our heart, outside of our mind, is where happiness lies. Because of that, when we invite the mind to be present, it gets bored quite easily. And that's okay. That's normative for our experience. The mind is, has been trained to go elsewhere. The wandering mind is the first thing that a meditator experiences when we begin to be mindful of breath. And that's because it's a habit. We've been trained to do it. We've trained the mind and the heart to seek elsewhere for satisfaction. The other thing that happens in the mind, which makes this challenging work, is that denying suffering and distracting ourselves from suffering feels pretty damn good. It's a great escape from dukkha, right? And so it's not simply that the mind wants to escape. The mind enjoys escaping. It feels good not to suffer. So when we've got something going on in our life, we don't want to lean into it. We want to go to Amazon or Netflix or go take a hike or go kayaking or do whatever. We want to go elsewhere. We don't want to be with the dukkha. And that's also very natural. So I think it's important when we come back to basics that we remember those three things. One, that this takes work. We call it a meditation practice because practice is necessary. It's a challenge for us to do this kind of work. Second, the mind is designed to wander away. It's designed to seek pleasure outside of itself. And that too is okay. It's going to happen again and again and again. And the third thing is the mind doesn't want to go into suffering. The first noble truth, there is suffering, invites us to lean in and to embrace the fact of the pain, to touch down on it with direct contact, contact of heart and mind. The mind doesn't want to do that. So we got to remember that we are geared to outward expression. We do not tend to look inward towards the suffering. And that's okay. That is the work that needs to be done, is to train the mind to come inward. And that's going to take some time because it's not an easy task. It is a lifetime of work to be able to do this. So congratulations for continuing your efforts. Give yourself a pat on the back for being a meditator. This is good stuff. It's the work that needs to be done. It's just not the easiest work to do. Another thing I wanted to remind us, and I know you all have heard me say this before in various talks because my orientation as a Dharma teacher is from this perspective. And so the perspective I want to remind you of is that it is really easy to think that the goal of meditation practice, and by goal I mean capital G, underline, bold, the goal of meditation practice is just to be present. It's really easy to think that if we can be present that the journey is done that all we need to do is be present. And if we can remain present long enough, all the bells and whistles will go off and the fireworks show and everything will just be groovy. So that's a misunderstanding of the nature of presence. And I'll go into this a little more in a bit, but I just want to remind you that the goal is freedom from suffering. Presence is the doorway to being able to have that experience. That The presence is just the first foundational step to being able to see the cause of suffering and to be able to directly experience the cause of happiness. Now, this, what might the word be? This focus or emphasis on present moment awareness 
we talk about this as teachers because it's such a cornerstone to the practice. And sometimes I think we talk about it so much that we've given folks the impression that that's all there is and that we don't build anything on top of it. So as you know, in my teachings, I'm always trying to remind us about the other things that we build on top of present moment awareness. Another aspect of this focus on being here now, so to speak, in honor of Ram Das, right? This being here now is that we enter the present moment to learn something. We enter the present moment to gain wisdom. That is how the path progresses. Learning to be present is its own wisdom, certainly, because that, that takes the challenge of getting the mind not to wander and managing our hindrances, right? Cultivating our factors of awakening. There's work to be done and it takes, you know, it takes skill and practice and repetition. Certainly it is a habit, but we do this. We go in and we enter into this now-ness to get the wisdom from the present moment. So we're sort of going into the present moment to extract something, to learn something, to be awake and aware to something. And that's the second step. Presence is the first step. The sort of the second step is, okay, what wisdom can I glean from this present moment awareness? So I just wanted to remind you, you've heard me say this before, but I just wanted to bring it all into one uh, prologue here when it comes to the power of presence. The last thing I'll say about that is, it's important to remember that the goal is happiness, right? The goal is freedom from suffering, freedom from stress, and freedom from discontent. So everything we do on the path ultimately serves this purpose of freedom. That freedom includes the cultivation of joy, the cultivation of compassion, deep connectivity to ourselves and others, deep wisdom, deep equanimity, the ability to let go and just be present with what's arising, the, the ability to really be joyful in the face of suffering. That's another quality that we, that we strive for. So it's just important to remember that we are on a quest for happiness, right? And we are on a quest for joy and compassion. This love and awakening has to do with joy, compassion, and wisdom. So that's where we're headed with all of this practice. And it's easy to forget that. Sometimes we get into our practice and we might start philosophizing about some insight or looking for a mystical experience, trying to get something out of the meditation. And it's good to be humbled and to remember the simplicity of the goal, which is freedom from suffering, freedom from stress and discontent, which is replaced by joy, wisdom, and compassion. That really is where we're headed on this path. That is why present moment awareness is such an important first step. One of the reasons I would say, at least the way I've conceptualized my own experience on this path, one of the reasons that I think is important to recall when we're practicing for why presence is so powerful is the way that present moment experience is connected to our past and our future. One of the things we forget because we're talking about presence so often is that present moment experience is directly tied to our past and our future. So when we're talking about learning to be present, we're also talking about learning to have a deeper understanding of our past and learning how to cultivate a different future for ourselves. So this present doorway is actually also a gateway 
to the past and the future. In fact, if you think about it, the past, present, and future only ever take place in the present. It's always presence. So that's another reason why presence is so important. Because if we want to live into and show up in the world as loving, kind, compassionate beings, that work is going to be done in the now. If we want to let go of wounds that we've had from childhood, if we want to be able to forgive ourselves for harmful things we've done, or to forgive others for harmful things that have been done to us, that's only going to occur in one place, the present moment. Because presence is the only place that our world, our lives, are actually lived. The present moment is that place where we are truly living. Now, the human mind and heart have this great trick. It can turn on this button and we can go on autopilot. So even though the present moment is the only place where reality is truly lived and truly touched with the mind and the heart, we have this great little escape where we can flip a switch and zone out, right? We can go through a whole day not really thinking about what's going on, checking off the list, going to work, taking care of the kids, doing our workout, watching TV, whatever, cooking, cleaning, living. And sometimes we do that quite blindly, right? Sometimes we go through the world as quite the autopilot. Hands up if you know what I'm talking about. Not just me, right? I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> it's scary if you don't show your hands because I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> I need to turn that switch off right quick. So it's really important to remember that it's easy to go on autopilot and that autopilot is a, the switch is there. It, it has adaptive significance, survival value. We've evolved to be able to turn off because we have to be able to get through our day without being overwhelmed. So it's a natural phenomenon to be able to go on autopilot. It just so happens that if we turn that switch off though, our lives can be filled with a deeper connectivity, a deeper wakefulness, a greater pleasure, a greater connection with ourselves and others. And in that connectivity, when we turn off that switch, we have this ability to thrive in our lives and to exert some agency over how we want our lives to be. So as good as autopilot can feel, I'm as much of a person who flips on the autopilot as anybody, it is more skillful and more liberating to learn to turn it off. And that's what we do when we enter into the present moment. When we enter into the present moment, that switch comes off. And now we have a sense of autonomy and agency and freedom that we don't have when we just move into the passenger seat and take and take a nap, so to speak. We have to be at the wheel. We have to be at the helm of our own consciousness to have this stuff work. And presence and present moment awareness is the doorway to be able to do that. If we want to get off autopilot, we got to learn to be present. That's where that occurs. So coming back around to this idea of future and past, I love this idea. I, I find it really, in a sense, esoteric, but also very straightforward. And whenever I remind myself of it, I feel like there's this insight that's gained about the fact that when I think about the past, it's just occurring now. And when I dream about the future, it's just occurring now. And that there's just this nowness that where everything is occurring. And that just always tickles me for some reason. The reason it's so important to remind ourselves of this, and this is going to be pretty straightforward and obvious, but I, I think it's good to remember how often has our present moment experienced been filled with suffering 
because we are clinging to something in the past. How often is the present moment filled with a sense of dis-ease, discontent, and unsatisfactoriness because the heart and the mind are over here in the past, right? In this way, the past conditions the present. So the, the present has an inheritance always of the past. And we know from direct experience how often, right, that the unresolved baggage, the incomplete business we have in the past, lives in our present moment. And the other thing it's important to remember is how often, because of negative things that have happened in the past that we are still mulling over and clinging to in the present, do we foreshadow a negative future out of fear of it happening again, out of a lack of self-confidence or self-esteem that's been brought on by this past event, right? We look at the future more negatively with, with less optimism, with less hope, with less confidence and security because our hearts and minds are still struggling with something in the past that is being mulled over and clung to in the present. I'm not the only one, right? Is this landing for Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you. So it's important to remember the present moment is conditioned by the past and the future is conditioned by the present. They are all commingling. And when we have the courage to turn off that autopilot and to be present, we build a brand new relationship with the present moment that allows us to heal from the past so we can have a new, clean, free future. That's, that's how the Dharma works with our practice. So there's this connection. Presence is so important because presence is how we get over our suffering in the past and pave the way for a future filled with wisdom, joy, and love. That is the main reason why we look to the present moment, because that's the doorway. Another thing I think is helpful about present, past, and future is to remember that... Let me think how to put this. try and use an analogy. So the way I experience it oftentimes is that meditation, especially if you do it regularly and do it over time. So there's a cumulative benefit to meditation. And what I have found in my own life, that meditation is like an excavation of the heart and the mind and the soul, so to speak. Every layer that we dig down, we are able to look at the relics of the past, honor them for what they were, and then box them up and put them where they need to be. And that what I found in meditation is that the longer we practice, the deeper we get to excavate, right? In the present moment, ironically enough, are all the relics of our past, right? The pottery that's been broken, the wounds that have happened, right? We have a whole archive of everything that's happened to us in the present moment. And by excavating, by going down, we get to bring it up. We get to honor it, get in touch with it, and let it go. But we have to go through the excavation. And the reason I like that metaphor, at least for myself, is that it reminds me that if I want to plant seeds in the present that are going to sprout and give me fruit, fruit in the future, I'm going to have to till the soil of the present and come into direct contact with my past. I'm going to have to get in direct contact and get intimately close with my resentment and my regrets, 
and my grudges and the things that have weighed me down. I'm going to have to have that courage to till the soil so I can have fresh soil to plant seeds that will sprout in my future. If I want to condition that future, I've got to be willing to go into the artifacts of my past and take a look at all the little details and be vulnerable enough to be intimate with that part of myself. And although it's challenging, as you all know from being meditators, the rewards are, they just feel boundless, right? They're so amazing to be able to go into that past and clean up that and then move into the future. Conversely, there's another part of this excavation which is so necessary. It is looking into the present and seeing all of the wonderful inheritance from the past, not just the things that have hung, hung us up, but the things that have gone well, right? In the present moment, we can be grateful for the fruits that have happened and come from the past. In the present moment is where we cultivate gratitude because we can think back and say, I have this amazing benefit in my life because this person listened to me. This other person cared for me. This person over here taught me something, held me when I was sick, was an ear when I needed someone to listen. Everyone in this room, if you are here today, then something in your past went well and you have inherited some goodness that we can be, you can be grateful for, right? So in the present moment is also where we cultivate gratitude, right? But the way we cultivate that gratitude is to honor the inheritance from the past, the benefit of our benefactors and our teachers and our friends and our family, the music that made us smile and the people that made us laugh, the pets that have been companions along the way. So in this presence, we extract from the past both the artifacts of pain and then the things that are beautiful and all of that goodness that we can feel grateful for. And we do that in the present. It is in the present that we say, I am grateful, right? That's the only place that gratitude springs is in the present. So what we see here is this powerful connection between the present and the past and the future. Studies have shown, and this always just lights me up. So studies have shown that the more you practice gratitude in the present, the more that gratitude springs spontaneously in the future. So we can literally plant seeds of the experience of gratitude to where the heart and mind will begin to open up in the future with a wakeful sense of gratitude. And that creates an incredible amount of pleasure, right? We get to show up in the world with a real honoring of the past because in the present we took the time to feel grateful and now we have a future heart that becomes awake and aware moment to moment to all of the good things that we can cherish. So again, I find this really interesting that we talk so much about presence, but what we really mean is honoring the past, preparing for the future by being here in this now. And that is why to a large part, the present moment awareness is so important to cultivate and why when I say getting back to basics, I invite us to remember how powerful it is to be present. Because mindfulness, this is this is something that changed my life when Robert said this now 12, 13 years ago, when he said, mindfulness changes the way you relate to the world. Mindfulness changes the way you relate to the world. And in that moment, I realized, oh, right. By being present, I get to change my relationship with myself and my relationship with all beings, which in that moment changes the relationship to the past and opens my future up for joy and wisdom. 
It changes the way we relate to the past, present, and the future. One other, one other thing I'll say about these relics and artifacts from our past that might be, that might hang us up. We all have parts of our past that we really wish we could let go of, confront, get close with, be vulnerable to, and we find that we're just not ready. That is okay. Always meet yourself where you're at. But I came up with this metaphor for myself. Uh, when I was struggling with letting go of some things, I kept telling myself, oh, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. And then I woke up and like 10 years had gone by and I still had some unresolved relationships. And, you know, and I laughed. It was sort of sad, but then I laughed and I realized, okay, so, you know, maybe it's time. And the image that came to mind when I realized this was, it's kind of like your present moment is decorated with the holiday ornaments from a previous holiday. And so the one that came to mind was like, on Halloween these days, I noticed people have these gigantic blow up spiders and stuff like in the yard. Like they have these in, like zombies and ghosts and all. I mean, it's just these elaborate decorations that I d definitely didn't have when I was a kid. And then some people leave them for quite a, quite a while, right after the fact. And I thought, oh, that's that's how my past is. It's like, I've got this big blow up spider inside me that it's from an old thing. It needs to be put away, right? But I just like keep the decorations there because I don't want to take them down or I don't want to have to deal with it. And so when I, when I felt that, I realized that, you know, I might be able to lean into the past and box up some of these old artifacts and take down some of these decorations that should have been put away, or could have been put away a while back and, you know, leave it open for the next holiday, for the next now, for the next presence. So any way you need to look at it, your past is decorated by these items and it's really helpful to look into your own present moment and say, is it time to use mindfulness to touch down on something? And when you do that, I would invite you to consider low hanging fruit, as we say, and find something where you know it's long overdue, but take and eat something that's easy, right? It doesn't have to be something that's really traumatic doesn't have to be something that's very frightening, but simply take something that's been overdue and put it on your list to bring mindfulness to, right? To hold an awareness and be aware of what that is and box up those decorations. And this helped me, this kind of analogy, this thinking, and it really helped me to be present to certain things that I was really unwilling at the time to give up and have since then been able to, uh, been able to let go of and put back on the shelf where it belongs or where it can be skillful anyway. So past, present, and future. I think what I would like to do, one of my intentions, I don't think I mentioned this last week, but I will mention it now because we're in, we're good timing today. I have not talked too much or gone over. Um, when we first started Wednesday Wake Up and we were doing this live and in person, we had it set from eight to, I'm sorry, seven to eight forty-five, and part of that time frame was because getting everyone seated, getting our meditation. We had multiple rooms and tea time and bathroom break, and when you have thirty people or twenty-five people, it takes much longer <laughs> to get through, of course. And now that we're on Zoom, we can shorten this experience and make it a little more compact. And so I was thinking of trying to 
get our sessions down a little bit closer to 90 minutes. So that's one reason is that we can do that now. Um, another reason is I would like to, for your sake, uh, make the Dharma talks a little shorter. I come from a background of teaching classes where teachings are long, right? And I love to talk about the Dharma. And so as you've noticed, I've made my Dharma talks, you know, nowadays kind of I spread them over three or four weeks. I've had to force myself to do that because if my unconscious had its own way, I'd leave you here for three hours and we would just, I would just talk all night about the Dharma. So I have this intention to do smaller talks, smaller bite-sized pieces where we can reflect each week and then have a little bit of discussion at the end if people, you know, have discussion or we can move into meta as well. So that's kind of my intention. And now You'll have to bear with me because you know I love to talk and so I might not always hit that mark. But uh, today what I'd like to do is take some time for some discussion about what we've already talked about, some impressions, some questions, um, and then we'll just continue this journey over a few weeks. But I did want to say, I just thought of this story and I just have to relay this because for me this is hilarious. So when I was in my Dharma teacher training, of course we practiced giving Dharma talks. Now back then... Anyway, it's been years now of teaching, so it's a completely different experience. But when you're first starting to do Dharma talks, so the teacher's council, we get together and we would do these short Dharma talks and give each other feedback and just learn to be comfortable talking about the Dharma. So, <laughs> of course, I was on retreat with Robert and it was my turn to give like a formal talk. So we, we were going to do like a 45 minute talk. So being me, my talk, I didn't even get to finish it because it would have been like three hours <laughs> It took like an hour and a half or even more and like it went into like the meal time and like finally I had to stop because I didn't know how to stop because to me there's just so much in the Dharma that's amazing that once I get started I don't know how to cut it off into pieces that are bite-sized. So my first Dharma talk which I've never given again was on karma and literally it was like a 15 page outline that that would have been like a three hour thing. <laughs> that was my very first attempt at a Dharma talk. So I've gotten better. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's just amazing. I love it. It's so delightful. Let's move to close and we'll do some meta. But let me just say I wanted to thank you all for the Donna that's been given. For those of you who were with us when we started Wednesday Wake Up, I made a real strong commitment that Wednesday Wake Up sort of take care of itself. And as long as we get $50 a week, then... We are self-supporting. Those of you who give monthly, thank you so much. That is really sort of our highest aspiration for PIMC is that people give monthly because it helps us with our budget. If you don't give monthly, we really encourage you to give at these individual events. And I just want, I'm just like so stoked that this, that we've been doing this for five or six months now. And every week we've had enough people give, give Donna. So we have been self-sufficient and that was my goal. And I'm just really grateful that you guys continue to give a few dollars every week when you can um, and you think about it. So Molly will put up the Donnable there uh, for you all. Again, if you're not on the mailing list for Wednesday Wake Up, hit me up at gmaloof at wisespiriteducation.com and I will put you on the list. And my new commitment is to send you the link Wednesday morning-ish so you'll have it in your inbox fresh if you need to get on so you can just go through your inbox and, and grab the link and you'll be good to go. So thank you again, my friends. Let's spend a few minutes in metta so we remind ourselves of our highest aspirations for this practice. Let us get comfortable for a couple more minutes. 
long, slow, deep breath in, in through the nose and out through the mouth. Embodied beings breathing, bring your body into as full awareness as possible, taking your whole body into awareness, full embodied being, leave no part untouched as Goenka used to say, full body awareness, hands and feet, nose, eyes, lips, ears, whole body awareness, top of the head, the elbows, the tip of the nose, Don't forget the big toe, the little toe, full-bodied being, breathing in, breathing out. And with this full-bodied awareness, these embodied hearts, let us wish well for all beings. Let us remember that we always practice for ourselves so we can truly be free from suffering. But our highest aspiration is for the freedom of all beings. We always practice for the sake of all beings. We practice so we can show up day to day in this world, bringing with us the light of wisdom, the light of compassion, the light of joy, the light of presence and wakefulness. Let us wish well for the world. So much stress, so much tension, so much discontent. Take a minute to imagine what your greatest longing would be for the world in this moment. What would you wish for all beings? May all beings be heard. May all beings be safe from disease. May all beings be free from the financial insecurities that are ravaging the planet. May all beings feel connected, at ease, safe and secure. May all beings know trust, love, kindness, joy. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. Thank you, my Dharma friends. 
delightful as always. May you stay safe and may you stay well. May you show up in the world with love, joy, and compassion. Till next week.